Welcome, folks, to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Jimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is episode 105, and the story I'm going to discuss will, of course, I hope you realize, be spoiled. Teal Productions on Twitter is where you can reach me, T-E-A-L. The Ronin Rabbit has a Google Plus page on Facebook. The episodes are posted on the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo Facebook page. BigTimeNoise.com slash Ronin Rabbit is the website. You can leave comments there. Or email them to usagipodcast at gmail.com. Volume 3, Usagi Yojimbo, issue 32 from Dark Horse Comics, cover dated October 1999 is the book I'm looking at. We have two stories in this one. A Life of Mush is the first story. Deserters is the second. Our personae dramatis in the first story are Mayamoto Usagi and a young lad named Izo. Uh, he looks to be a young... Um, I'm not sure what he is a youngling of. Maybe some kind of cat? Looks like. And then the story Deserters centers on the Nico Ninjas, and we see Chizo, Kagamaru, Take, and Saruko are the main characters there. But first, A Life of Mush opens with Usagi opening a palm leaf, although it's not going to be palm leaf. I'm not sure what kind of leaf it is, but it's large leaves that were used to wrap something. He's unwrapping them. And he has several rice balls. And he has stopped to eat them for, um, we'll say lunch. Perhaps breakfast. We'll say lunch. But he's sitting there eating. And a young lad walks up, carrying his practice sword. And as he gets close, his stomach grumbles. And he says, he points at Usagi and says, Hey you, I'm hungry. Give me some of that. And Usagi just keeps eating. He completely ignores the young lad. Izu, who we don't know that that's his name yet, he will tell Usagi here momentarily, but that's his name nonetheless, raises his sword and says, didn't you hear me? I want some of those rice balls. Usagi, munching away, cool as can be, says no. If you'd asked courteously, I would have gladly shared my meal, but I cannot condone your rudeness. Perhaps you can ask again politely this time. And the young lad now makes a fist and shakes it at Usagi and says, I just take what I want! And rushes him with the sword held up high. And just as he gets to Usagi, he trips on a rock, tumbles down a hill that Usagi is sitting atop of, runs back up the hill saying, He can't get away with that! And he charges up the hill. And when he gets up to the top of the hill, he yells, Now you'll be sorry! And at the top of the hill, he is right next to the tree that Usagi was leaning back against. We see in the distance, Usagi has continued his journey. But there, on the rock that he was sitting, were those large leaves with a solitary rice ball sitting on top of him. He had left one for Izo to eat. Izo grabs it up and scarfs it down quite um, violently, I guess you could say. He chases after Usagi yelling, hey, samurai, wait. Usagi turns around, and now he has a look on his face. What is it now, he says. Usagi's starting to be, you know, a little put out with the young man. Basically, the young man says that he wants to be Usagi's apprentice. Well, Usagi is not going to take an apprentice. Uh, he's not in a position to take an apprentice. He's not in the frame of mind. It's, it's not what he's about right now. 
Besides the fact that this is a young child who has probably run away from home, he's seeking the circus, right, For in, in American parlance, I think. Uh, he, he wants to join the circus. So he's run away from home with no real plan other than that. So they talk back and forth, and this is an opportunity for Mr. Sakai to educate us, uh, the newer us reading the books, not longtime fans, but the newer us, about the role of samurai, the life of the Bushi, and the Bushido Code. All of this wrapped up together as he continues walking with the young lad, I forgot his name, Izo, and they come upon an inn and stop for a meal. Whichever meal, I don't know, lunch or dinner. Big full meal. They're sitting there eating, talking back and forth. Izo realizes, no, well, Izo comes to the realization, I'll say, that this is not the kind of person that he wanted to learn under. Uh, Usagi is not aggressive. Uh, he's not, he, he is nothing that the young man has envisioned a samurai to be. So he, he sees Usagi as weak. Doesn't want to learn, obviously, from someone weak. So over the course of the meal, he decides, no, he's not going to. He changed his mind. Usagi gets up to leave, and as he's getting up, he bumps into somebody that has is coming into the end. And we see that perhaps this individual that he bumps into is uh, much a ruffian. He comes in with a pack. There's about six of them that come in at the same time. Usagi exits. As they come in, they catch Izo's attention, and he's watching them. He's watching how they treat the innkeeper and yell and uh, sake and drunk and disorderly and all of that. That is what he envisioned uh, that he wanted to do when he escaped. Uh, it, sorry, not escaped. When he ran away from home. He said at one point to Usagi that he's a farmer's uh, son. So he he probably does look at it as escaping. Uh, finally, he hooks up with this band of ruffian vagabonds. Eh, probably not vagabonds. Ruffians, a gang of some sort. Maybe they're yakuza. I, I don't know. Um, and they you know they give the kid a little grief and jerk him around a little bit. And he lets slip about Usagi, and that Usagi seemed to have plenty of money. Well, now these guys are like, oh. So that dude who bumped into me has money. Okay, so they gather up and they go to separate Usagi from his money. Well, Izu is much concerned about this and runs out trying to warn Usagi, yelling and screaming at him. But he is too far away to be heard and is jerked up short by one of the ruffians anyways. So he ends up following them rather than running ahead and being able to warn Usagi. He sees that they have caught Usagi, and he watches as Usagi, as we know and understand what happened, dispatches the group rather um, succinctly. The final guy, who was the um, bear dogish dude, I, I think, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly he is, that Usagi bumped into, is the last running away, saying out loud that he'll return and get his revenge and he's running towards Izo. So Izo steps out. I, I think he stepped out because he was caught by surprise. I don't think he was intending to do anything. But the 
ruffian decides he's going to strike down Izo because he feels now that the group was set up, right? Because Usagi is much more than just a lone samurai with some money. Uh, which is just, to me, is, is there, there's an irony in there because truly that's all Usagi is, is a lone samurai and he happens to have some money, you know. But um, Usagi catches up and dispatches this final bad guy just as the bad guy got to Izo. And so he falls and collapses on Izo and dies all with Izo <laughs> staring him right in the eyes. So when Usagi finally gets the ru- ruffian up off of Izo, Izo is near hysterical, screaming and yelling, having just stared someone in the eyes as they died rather violently a a sword swipe to the back mind you and Usagi there's a panel with Usagi with both uh, shoulders grabbed of Izo and I can just see that he's shaking him a little bit although it's not drawn that way but in my head canon that's what happened he's shaking him yelling his name and as soon as he releases Izo, Izo runs off screaming, Yeah, I want my daddy, daddy, as he runs off into the distance. And Usagi says, I guess he realizes a life of mush is not so bad after all. Having made mention that, that he wanted more to eat, the eat being symptomatic of, of life, uh, than mush, again, being symptomatic of how he symbolic symbolic uh, either way of how he perceived his life okay the second story deserters again this involves chizu kagamaru take and saruko all members of the niko ninja clan the book opens with take and saruko running hand in hand each holding a bag exclaiming do you think they're coming after us with luck, we'll get out of the territory before they even discover we're gone. Keep running, keep running. And they run over a particular part of the path that has been trapped with a net, and they're snagged. Here we see Chizu uh, announcing that they have been captured, that they must be taken back to the compound uh, where they will be executed. Scene cuts to Kagamaru. She is uh, being besieged by an elder. Uh, perhaps some sort of right, uh, not right-hand man, but a, uh, a man-servant, something of that nature. She's being summoned by Chizu, who has indeed brought Take and Saruko back. They're kneeling, bound, the assemblage of ninjas behind them, up on a raised platform that is part of the compound's residence, compound's building, is Chizu and... Kagamaro enters stage left. Discussion, you know, Chizu, what is this? He explains that these are two deserters. Uh, she recognizes him. Kagamaro recognizes him immediately. So she knows everyone in the clan. And th- the main person speaking is Saruko. Um, I do not believe, let me flip here. Yeah, interestingly enough, now that I notice. Take, oh no, he, he does speak here in this one panel. Okay. Uh, but basically, these two ninjas have decided, being in love, that they want to spend their lives together, not at the behest of the ninjas, not worshipping death as ninjas do. They want 
to break free and start a new life together in a much more positive atmosphere. Well, that is apparently against the Nico Ninja Code. Uh, it's much like the Mafia. Once you're a member, you're a member, member for life. The only way that you dismember, no pun intended, is uh, via death. That That's the only way you're not a Nico Ninja. Um, would have been interesting to have been able to determine if that's the way with all ninjas. I, I couldn't find anything like that, but then I guess... Uh, you know, the, the second rule of being a ninja is you never speak of being a ninja. So I guess word is not out as to how they conduct themselves. I, I don't know. But we go back and forth. Saruko and then Take take their turns uh, beseeching what they want and why it's right and just that they have it and, you know, all these things. Uh, Chizu, uh, the omnipresent kill them. Oh, I see. Kill them. I mean, you know, that's just all that that's all he sees is that they have been disloyal and in being disloyal, death is the answer. Period. Well, Kagamaro is uh, quite a bit softer having encountered Usagi now a couple times and I think she she kind of feels akin to Saruko. Except that Kagamaru cannot uh, divest herself of ni- ni- Nico Ninja Dumb. She she is, and it is her responsibility as the leader, and so she can't separate the two. So she, in a way, sees this as an opportunity to do that via someone else. Uh, I guess vicariously could be the word thrown out there, and orders that they be freed and allowed to do what it is they have said they will do. Go far, far away. You know, so that there is no connection, and live a life of keeping their mouths shut about having been Nico ninjas, which, depending on where they go, probably would be a good idea, anyways, because they may well draw uh, deadly attention to themselves. You know, if they were somewhere else, somebody that didn't particularly like the Nico ninjas. So, so they go off. Uh, Chizu and Kagamaru have a little. Oh, really? Who's in charge? Go away. Uh, you know, you can almost envision the backhand wave uh, at uh, Chizu go away. We cut next to Take and Saruko who are nearing the edge of the Nico territory. They're, they're about to get away with it. When Chizu appears with a contingent of ninjas, it looks to be nah, five is the most I can see in one panel here. They surround our two attempted escaping ninjas who then decide they have no other choice but to fight. Now, unfortunately, Take does not seem very well equipped to fight, uh, so much so that he ends up being dispatched by the um, outfit-wearing ninja. Uh, Take and Saruko are dressed like peasants, in my mind, whereas the rest of the ninja, except for Chizo, are wearing the traditional ninja garb, including the mask over their face. Now, Chizu does not. He has no need, I guess, to disguise his his person, uh, is what we're... Uh, why exactly that would be the case, I'm not sure. I'm sure there is some message to the masses there. You know, he is not afraid to have his identity known, or he does not have to worry about having his identity known, you know, something like that, I'm not sure exactly, but, and, of course, it, it does make the group look more imposing that they are, they have their faces covered, but, either way, 
Take succumbs, but Saruko, on the other hand, is much the tigress. She, uh, it's hard to tell if she's killing any of the ninja, which I don't think as the story progresses is the case because she keeps fighting person after person. So uh, she she is using non-lethal techniques, whereas they are all wielding swords. You know, their, their technique is, is destined to be quite lethal, as Take found out. So fight, fight, fight until Chizo uses a star and with distance weapons now, Saruko decides that she needs to run uh, because it is no longer hand-to-hand. So she runs and just jumps off a cliff, crashes down through the pine trees, breaking branches as she goes, being beaten and cut and whatever, until finally she lands on the ground. The final page, um, in a lot of ways for me, is the best page of the story because three of the seven panels we see her continuing to fall through the trees until she hits the ground and then the next four panels are the oh excuse my language shit panels because she stands up kind of shakes herself walks up to the nearest tree and just leans against the nearest tree and says chizu (laughs) so Our deserter story, I believe, has now turned into a revenge story uh, with a young lady that could quite easily, it appears, hold her own against Chizu. So, we will see how this goes. Um, This is enough to make me want to see this character stay around. Saruko looks pretty darn awesome in just this, I don't know, five or six page story. It's not a very long story. Now, on the back in the letters page, uh, we have some snippets. One very, very long letter from a fan. Uh, but the snippets here, what caught my eye was whoever writes this, uh, Diana, I believe is who wrote this one. Maybe who does all of them. Uh, she says, Gaijin, uh, they, that, that was a discussion that the person had in their letter, is descriptive rather than pejorative. Now, it struck me because I think of Gaijin as being pejorative. But she says it's descriptive with Gai literally meaning outside and Jin person. So, Gaijin is an outsider, which may have started as a, a, a descriptive word, but now I think if used... It's used as the pejorative. I think definitely our um, the our understanding as the consumer of the word, right? In in whatever medium we see, hear it in, are exposed to it in. I I think that it is intended to be a pejorative because it, it almost always is thrown out. Gaijin. It's not you know it's not used well. And a letter here about. Law and order in uh, feudal Japan in the, what is it, Magia era, M-E-J-I-A, something like that, era of Japan, which is, I believe, roughly when this is set. Inspector Ishida prefers to administer justice rather than uphold the law. Okay, if only (laughs) there were more like that. Magistrates followed a law that was never published and could be changed without notice. The government believed that the people should not be instructed as to what the law might be, 
but should be content to do as they were told because it's what the law was. I don't believe there were any statutes of limitations. And as you suspected, the time and effort involved in bringing a criminal to justice had to do more with the tenacity of the investigating officer. So, with no statute of limitations, if they chose to continue after somebody, well, uh, I guess the system felt more power to you, was, is the takeaway from that. Um, something that I don't think that I I'm, I'm mention very often or have mentioned or... Uh, I believe he deserves more notice. And that is Mr. Tom Luth, L-U-T-H, Luth, Luth. He does the cover colors and separations on these. Um, and, and it is Stan Sakai's pencils and potentially, I believe, inks, it looks like. Uh, but the colors, the colors are always outstanding. And it's always Mr. Luth, I'll say, uh, that is responsible for those. So... There is a shout-out, and I will perhaps continue to do that. I don't know that I've noticed anybody else doing it, so I believe it's pretty consistently his. So, there you go. And I believe that is it for this issue of Usagi Ujimbo and this episode of The Ronin Rabbit. Now, as a quick little review here, uh, through the course of this story, we were exposed to the following terms and phrases that will be on the next test. Samurai, we know what that is. Bushi, we know what that is. And if you don't, that is the name given to the warrior class of Japan at this time. Bushido is the code that the warrior class lived by. Sake, yeah, I, I think we're all good on sake. Kushira, which is chief, that's how... Kagamaru was referred to. Chunin, which we have seen in police discussions and other stories, and with Inspector Ishida recently, but Chunin is officer, and that is the way by which Chizu was referred in the Niko Ninja Clan hierarchy. So, Kagamaru is the Kashira, and Chizu is an or the Chunin. That's the a way that, that those words were used for us. So next time out, we have issue... Oh, I went out of order here. Issue 31 of Usagi Ujimbo, since I just discussed issue 32. Oh, well. <coughs> Excuse me. So that will be the uh, book for next episode. Episode 106. Yeah, 106. So that's what I'll go over next time. Ciao, guys. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives 3.0, Unported License.